and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who I predict will score 20 goals in 2020. His <laughs> name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Is that in our spring season or in all competitions? It's in so spring season, uh-huh. fall season, yep. and indoor. Okay. 20 goals. All right. I'd say that's conservative. I'll take, I'll take that. Because you, so you often play centre-back for our 11-a-side team, mm-hmm. but you're still good for, what, five or six goals? And that's season. season? Uh, hopefully. hopefully right, so. so we've got our Apertura uh-huh. and Clausura. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and then you've got various indoor seasons. You're going to score in those, right? So Let's 20 goals. Uh, first of all, thank you for that introduction. Hi, I'm Taylor. Second of all, I promise you we're not, not going to... Name. I think you, you did. You did. I think I just didn't accept the, accept the, the uh, introduction. Okay. Uh, but also, listeners, I promise we're not just going to talk about our amateur teams and the number of goals we're going to score this season. We're going to talk about a lot of interesting we things sure on this are. show. We have our very specific predictions that we do. for the upcoming year 2020. But first, did we say very specific when we were <laughs> discussing how we were going to do this? Reasonably specific. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. for 2020. <laughs> Thank you. So all that is to come. But as we came in to record today, yeah. U.S. Soccer mm-hmm. dropped the January Camp Men's National Team roster on us. There are 25 names. Greg Berhalter has called 25 players. Yep. These players will go to uh, Qatar, where they will train um, in the in the place where the World Cup's going to be in 2022. Yep. I like it. Then they're going to come back at the end of January and face Costa Rica at the stadium formerly known as Home Depot and StubHub, but now known as Dignity Health Stadium in Perfect. Carson, California. Uh, February 1st, they'll play Costa Rica. First of all, I'm going to go out of context and uh, clip that so it's Dale Grove saying they're going to be playing in Qatar. I like that. So then we can have it as you being on board with the Qatar World Cup bid. You are, uh, hey, you are welcome to edit the show if you want. Hard pass. Yeah. Second of all, uh, I also blame slash credit uh, folks on Twitter like Charlie Bohm and Paul Kennedy uh, because we were in here ready to record our, our uh, 2020 predictions. And then there started being tweets about like people are going to be excited. People are, There's going to be some buzz. Yeah. People are going to be enthusiastic. So we waited. And I think that was the correct decision. I think that's true. Okay, for those who are confused before we do this, remember, mm-hmm. this is the January camp roster. It is Why no, no Christian Pulisic? Is, exactly. There's none of the big names, none of the or mostly none of the European mm-hmm. players are available yep. for this. It's always a mostly domestic roster with a few surprises here and there. Right. So with that said, why no Tyler Adams? (laughs) Why no Tyler Adams? Because he's resting, Tyler. There we go. He's resting. Mm -hmm. Okay, are you ready? Uh, Maybe we'll go uh, position by position. I'll get it started. The goalkeepers are Bill Hamid, Sean Johnson, JT Marcinkowski, and Matt Turner. Mm -hmm. Any big surprises there? No big surprises, but I think a consistent narrative for this roster that starts with the goalkeeper position is sort of established names, then maybe like a surprise inclusion a la Bill Hamid, uh, and then sort of a player who we would expect to be. Exactly. And then, I'm not sure a la was the correct one. I should have just said Bill Hamid would be the one. (laughs) And then a player who maybe is more likely to be with the U23s with the Olympic team uh, in the form of JT Marcinkowski. And I think that is sort of this roster is some senior players, some players who are getting low Looks uh, towards the senior team, and then some players who are getting yeah. looks, but are also there to get experience for the Olympic qualifiers. And the good news is, Bill Hamid is like nine or ten months away from his howler that will eliminate DC United from the playoffs in 2020. <laughs> right? I think it's hilarious that you think DC are going to make the playoffs, but sure, but sure. Uh, so those are your four goalkeepers. Uh, your eight defenders would be uh, Julian Araujo of the LA Galaxy, Reggie Cannon of FC Dallas. Those are your two right backs: Chase Gasper of Minnesota United, Justin Glad of RSL, Aaron Long of the New York Red Bulls, Mark McKenzie of the Philadelphia Union, Sam Vines of Colorado. Rapids and Walker Zimmerman of LAFC. So that's uh, Araujo and Cannon are your right backs. Your left backs are Gasper and Vines. Vines is sort of like a U23 Olympic eligible left back. So I think that's part of why he's on this roster and everybody else centre backs. What are you most excited <laughs> about? Everybody else centre backs. I think Araujo uh, being included. I think young players with this squad 
pretty exciting. I think to see how he does uh, with Reggie Cannon in there as well, to see how they balance those minutes, or maybe yeah. they split a game, maybe Reggie, Reggie Cannon gets all the minutes, but I like both of those. And honestly, Justin Glad is surprisingly a player that I'm excited about from what we saw of him near the end of the season last year. Uh, I thought his passing was way better than I had seen previously. I thought his positioning was pretty good. Obviously, he's good in the air. So I look forward to seeing what he can do with the senior national team. And I think this really tells a story of U23. So U23 Olympic qualifying mm-hmm. is in uh, late March. Like Araujo, Cannon, Glad, uh, McKenzie and Vines, all eligible for that team. Yep. I think that's a big story with this January roster. Is it's a lot of guys who are going to be getting experience here for experience down the line. I agree. This might not be the time to jump into this. So if you want to hold off, we can. But do you find it strange how like we thought that like, oh, this is a bunch of Olympic players and then some senior team. And then we looked into it more and we're like, oh, there's really not that many senior players missing. There's what, like Bradley and Altador. Yeah. Aside from that, when it comes to senior domestic based players. That's true. This is sort of full strength minus those two names. That's true. That's true. That's true. But it's just a little strange, though, right? Because yeah. usually it's like you look at this and you're like, yeah, it's the 23. We'll augment a few from Europe. But this is primarily the squad. But it's not like... Um Ben Sweat. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shots fired at Ben Sweat? Well, I think. No, like, yeah. there's not so many sort of older um, MLS guys. Gotcha. It's more like if you've got the, the, a choice between, say, Ben Sweat and Sam Vines, you're going Sam Vines. Mm-hmm. You know what okay. I mean? So he's the representation. Yeah, there we go. You don't yeah, necessarily yeah. just dislike Ben Sweat. Let, not at all. Let's move. I don't even know him. Let's move to the midfield. Mm-hmm. It's quite exciting. It is. Brendan Aronson, Christian Kappas, yep. Brian Kao, mm-hmm. Sebastian Legette, Paxton Pomacal, Christian Roldan, Jackson York. <laughs> My, my excitement didn't drop when I said Christian Roldan. Yeah, it was a little drop. I just said it. I just <laughs> you just said, said it. it. You just said it. Uh, Jackson Yule being uh, an exciting inclusion. Uh, we've enjoyed what we've seen from him in the number mm-hmm. six spot. I would imagine that's why he continues to be there. No Will Trap. No Will Trap. No Michael Bradley. Jackson no, my... Yule is Ooh, the, the senior number six in this midfield. I feel like that is significant that Will Trap is not included mm-hmm. in there. Uh, Brian Kao, another one that uh, is, I guess, unattached. Uh, last we saw, he was with uh, no, Orange, Orange County. County SC. Uh, yeah. He's listed on the roster as unattached, so I don't know if that's like it's a strange, season-to-season thing. Right? My mm-hmm. understanding is he was uh, sort of a DC United Academy player, yep. played a bit for Loudoun United, which is their UCL, uh, UCL, USL team. And then I thought he'd signed with Orange County SC. Mm-hmm. He's only 17, right? When he turns 18, the rumor is that he's going to move to Wolfsburg mm-hmm. or some other... Bundesliga team. I don't know if that means he'll be with Orange County for the first part of 2020 season or not. That would make sense, or maybe he'll just train independently until he gets that move, but that his birthday is late summer, like late July. It's not one of those, like, oh, it's like he's an April or a May birthday, so he'll yeah. be able to go as soon as the window opens, or maybe even before. Maybe he'll end up playing most of the season with a USL team just so he keeps his sort of eligibility open, his options open. Because then you don't abroad. go through the labyrinth of, of Major League. Exactly. Target. Right. Exactly. So it's quite a young, exciting midfield, right? It is Brendan Aronson, Paxton Pomacal, we always love to see in mm-hmm. a U.S. national team jersey. Yeah, and Christian uh, Kappis, Cappy, still don't know how to pronounce his last name. Maybe I'm one day we'll going all in on Kappis. Well, there's no, for me, there's no evidence that you don't pronounce that last S until I hear otherwise. Yeah, so, says the man with a lack of fanciness and imagination. <laughs> uh, no, you're probably right. All right, Christian Kappis, let's do that. Uh, from Holbro. Same, same for Christian Leletget. <laughs> yeah, I don't know this Leletget guy, <laughs> but uh, but he seems interesting and he seems handsome. Let's get a look at him. <laughs> uh, and then with your forwards, uh, six forwards, uh, some of whom will be wide, some of whom will be up top. Paul Ariola of DC, Jesus Ferreira of FC Dallas. New US citizen. Dare will re- raise those hands above. US citizen. Yeah. Arms above his head. Yep. That's how excited he is about Ferreira. Jonathan Lewis of Colorado. Ulysses Yanez of Wolfsburg. Hello for that. Hooray for that. Arms in the air Arms for me for that. Jordan Morris and Giassi Zardes. So I would say the headline on this roster yeah. um, for. Um, I'm going to call it US Soccer Twitter, mm-hmm. um, is Ulysses Janes. Because there's been a lot of yeah. highlights of Ulysses Janes destroying U19 teams when he's playing for Wolfsburg U19s. Um, and then also 
Ulysses Yanez's father on Twitter kind of complaining that no one from US mm-hmm. soccer has been in touch. Yep. I think maybe there's been a bit of a threat made that we might we might be talking to Mexico instead. Yeah. And so he's been called up for this US senior team instead. I mean, yeah, publicly agitating can, can work on occasion. I think uh-huh. it probably has here. I also think you're probably right that I'm not sure there's ever been a player that like U.S. soccer Twitter reacted with like, yes, this is the best news ever. <laughs> and I feel like most kind of casual national team fans looked at that and thought, who? I think <laughs> Who's this guy? We have a guy named true. Ulysses? That's cool. <laughs> so you would have seen him, what, briefly with the U-20s mm-hmm. um, at the World Cup, I believe. If that's not true, I'll edit it out. Um, or you would have seen highlights with Wolfsburg U-19s. But it is interesting the number of players here who, or a couple of players here that don't really have senior team experience, right? right? Ulysses Janes has never played um, a senior game for Wolfsburg or anybody else. Same with, um, I guess you could say Brian Keogh has played a senior game if he's played mm-hmm. for Loudoun, right? Okay, so maybe he really is the exception then, Ulysses Janes. Mm-hmm. Now, I raised the idea to you off air, and we should note here we're going to like go maybe more in depth on this roster yeah. and what we expect from them later on. This is on the of first the week. reaction, right? Yeah. Um, but I speculated to you, I wonder if there's a possibility that some of these players are in there because there are so few. What, Jason Christ is the only sort of youth national team coach at this point. He's the Olympic coach. Aside from that, all of those other coaching spots are vacant. So my question for you was is there a chance that some of these people are included because there really can't be a U20 camp or a U17 camp or a U19 right. or what have you because? we don't have those coaches in place. I don't think that is the reason. I think the reason is that uh, we want to give as many of the U23 eligible guys uh, as much national team exposure mm-hmm. as possible uh, before March when we have the big Olympic qualifying tournament. Yeah. Right? I think that makes more sense. So look at it in a positive light. Now, how are you going to feel if we see a lot of the same players play both of these games? I don't think that will happen, but just as like a sort of frustrating scenario, not worst case necessarily, but like frustrating scenario of what if it is sort of Jackson Ewell... Christian Roldan, Sebastian Legette, like both the usual, games. usual. Yeah. yeah, like if it is sort of because this feels like an opportunity for Who's the, the other group opponent, by the way? to it's expand. Costa Rica and we don't know. Uh, Costa Rica and I think El Salvador, I believe. I can check that in just a moment when I'm not talking, but I think it's El Salvador. Um, but. Yeah, that's my, my question for you is like, what if it's the kind of same players? Are you going to be frustrated or do you think this is just an opportunity to sort of get some young players in there to see what they can do in this type of environment? I think there's obviously a benefit to being in camp because mm-hmm. it's not just turning up for a friendly two days before and then taking the field, right? Mm-hmm. This is you spend basically the whole month mm-hmm. um, in camp with the senior US men's national team. So even if you don't see the field, I think just because we don't see them in action, there's still lots of benefit to being in camp. So yeah. I'll be frustrated that I didn't get to see them but I'll also recognize the value of uh, working with Bearhalter and co. for the entire month. All right. Uh, that, that, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I agree with that. I would also say uh, the quote from the press release is the USMNT will train and play closed-door scrimmages from January 5th to the 25th at Aspire Academy in Doha before returning to Los Angeles to face CONCACAF rival Costa Rica on February 1st at Dignity Health uh, Sports Park. So maybe that's the only game that's officially going to be there. I saw El Salvador earlier today. Maybe that was just somebody erroneously reporting or maybe that's one of the closed-door opponents. Well, we've got a month to keep digging into this roster and figuring out exactly who we're playing. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> also true. So we're going to do that. But as you said, we, we have a month to kind of figure these things out to have more conversations. But we don't really have a month to do our New Year's uh, sort of predictions because we're recording this on, what, December 30th? Yep. New Year's Eve tomorrow. And then it's the New Year. So I feel like we've got to get our specific predictions in. Not necessarily very specific, uh-huh. but predictions in for 2020 now before we're too late. Let's get to it. Because everyone knows once you try to predict things in January 2020 on January 1st, it's too late. Well, it's you already, already have a whole day of information then. It's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not right. fair. So this is this works as like a preview for the soccer year of 2020. Mm. Uh, and then we're also going to stick our necks out on, on a few things as yep. well. Who's going to go first, me or you? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. 
Here's, I've got a US soccer one for All you. Right. US soccer will change the Chicago policy, but quietly. Okay. So the Chicago policy is that when they hire youth national team coaches, mm -hmm. they want them to move to Chicago so that, you know, in Ernie Stewart's words, everyone can be around the water cooler. Yeah. Um, right now, there are no youth national team coaches. Jason Christ is the U23 coach. The, on but, the men's side, you mean? Yeah, yeah. on the mm -hmm. men's side. But from U17 to U20, uh, there's there's nobody. U16 to U20, yeah. there's nobody coaching on the men's side. And only one on the women's side There's as only well. one yeah. coach on the women's side. But that's that's because Kate McGrath has only recently been installed as Fair. GM, right? Um and it seems to be that like a lot of the reason some guys left on the uh, on the men's boys side is because of the Chicago policy. Mm. I would I would suggest that one of the reasons they lost the U17 coach Rafael Vicky is the Chicago policy. Mm -hmm. He moved there, and then Chicago Fire hired him. As well, he's coach. already here. Yeah. We may as well. Um, so I think that Ernie Stewart and US Soccer will quietly relax that sort of stipulation. There won't be a big announcement. It'll just sort of happen quietly. That would be the way to go, I think, because they very recently, I think, came out and said, like, we're not going to relax that. That still remains in effect. It's still yeah. a thing we are prioritizing. But it also feels like the type of thing where six months from now, you're, it's going to sort of be like, oh, yeah, well, we never really felt like it was that yeah. important. And it's okay for our coaches to live wherever they need to live. And I think the longer that they struggle to hire someone for positions, the mm -hmm. more you kind of loosen the parameters a little bit and mm -hmm. maybe look at it and think, eh, maybe this wasn't a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So don't expect a big announcement. Just expect that like in a year from now, if you find out the address of the U18 coach mm -hmm. is in Kansas City. Yeah. And not Chicago. Don't be too surprised. I think that's a very, very smart and like appropriate first prediction mm -hmm. because it speaks to a sort of feeling I had around U.S. soccer with a lot of these is I want to be optimistic. I want to see things are going to get better. This is how they're going to improve. But simultaneously, that's mostly want as opposed to yep. like there being evidence. And I feel like that's a very good prediction that is a good metaphor for how I feel of like – it's probably not going to be anything like big, big, like, okay, this is the way forward. Great. They're making changes, but it will be kind of slight changes, maybe slight recognition that things haven't quite worked out. It's also based on the Winston Churchill quote, you can always trust Americans to do the right thing, but only after they've exhausted every other possible option. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so give me your first prediction. Shut up, Winston. You can't even get elected prime minister after the war. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I roasted mean, your former prime minister. Could, just not directly after. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, I am going to continue with that kind of my line of thinking when it comes to U.S. soccer. And I'm going to say – I'm going to go optimistic. I'm going to change okay. this prediction on the fly. I'm going to say U.S. soccer will not have a brain-dead quote about Qatar coming out of this January camp. We won't <laughs> have a quote about how wonderful the facilities are and how excellent the preparation has been because if that happens – not a great look. I'm going to be looking for that. I will too. Uh, thus far, the press release was like, we look forward to getting used to the weather and the conditions and the like atmosphere of Qatar. That I feel like they went out of their way to not really talk about like mm -hmm. the state of the art structures and how wonderful it's going to be. And I kind there of there won't be any press release that starts with in defense of the Kafala system. <laughs> Say what you will about like indentured servitude, <laughs> a, la, a la the coverage of Stalin and Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I hope I hope we don't go that route. Instead, I hope there is a more restrained. Yeah, Yes, we got some like valuable experience out of it, and we now know what it's like to be on the ground, but we're excited to be back in the States. Okay. That would be a fine way to begin. All right, I've got a lot of U.S. soccer. I've got non-U.S. soccer-related stuff. I've got a lot of U.S. soccer-related sure. stuff. I'm quite happy to put this all at the top. Um, here's one. Someone not named Jay Berhalter will be the next CEO of U.S. soccer. Okay. All right. Right? The evidence for this is – What, if, what though, if it's like the initial Jay Berhalter? 
Like, what if he just changes his name up or something like oh, that? It goes with something different. False yes. Nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that will still be Jay Berhalter. We'll be able to tell. Um, so, do you remember the Carlos Cordero uh, mm-hmm. story? Henry Bushnell interviewed him after the uh, the mm-hmm. meeting at the end of, I think it was early December. Um, they said that they reopened yeah. or widened the CEO search after the Glassdoor reviews, which were very critical of Jay Berhalter. Um, and they said it wasn't in direct response to that, but it the timing matches up, right? Mm-hmm. It really does look like there's all these complaints. They found out that a lot of employees did not enjoy Jay Bearhalter, um, and then they restarted the search. So it, that says to me that it's not going to be him. It's going to be someone else. That's my specific prediction for 2020, and I think it will be a good thing for U.S. soccer to have a new CEO come in from the outside, mm-hmm. someone who hasn't been involved with the organization already. I appreciate that you're, t- you're taking these swings, and I would say... Based on, opti- some, based on some logic, though, right? Yeah, but optimistic swings. Yes. Because like as I sometimes do, I got caught up a little bit in my thinking because like with Burhalter as an example, Jay Burhalter, it seems like it was going to be his position. Then there was the negative press, and so it may well not end up being his job. But that also seems odd for the heir apparent to not get the job, but then stay in his current capacity. Mm-hmm. So, do you think then that if he doesn't get that, that requires a, a PR release of like he's moved on to greener pastures or he's in a farm in upstate New York? I like, have no idea. <laughs> That that has a whole different meaning. It does? What are you yeah. talking about? That's where all of my family pets have gone. I assume Jay Berhalter would be running around with all my family pets. You should go visit them one day. I will. Yeah. And then you'll see. All right. What you got for me? I'm going to find out a sad story about all of my childhood pets. I don't know why that's in my predictions. Um, I'm going to say the U.S. women's national team will win the Olympics. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I've, okay. I've got a competing prediction. Oh, no. Um, the Netherlands mm-hmm. will win gold um, at the Olympics on the women's side. All right, so you hate and America. Got Vivian that. Miedema mm-hmm. will be top scorer. Okay. And, and she will be uh, not nonplussed because nonplussed doesn't mean what we think it means, but she, she'll just be very calm about the whole thing. She'll be top scorer and she won't celebrate She's any like, of them. Yeah, I, really, I feel like the Netherlands women's national team is on an upward yep. trajectory. I think they've got the same same coach in place. Most of the same squad seems to be in place, so I assume the Olympic roster will mm-hmm. be, you know, uh, Daniela van der Dunk and Vivian Miedema and, you know, the whole the whole crew that mm-hmm. we know from the World Cup. Yep. Whereas the US women's national team, I think, you know, new coach, it's a bit of an inflection point. I'm not sure that they're going to, like, win the next tournament. So I- I'm not sure they will either. But the reason why I think they might is actually for the same reason you mentioned, only in the opposite, that I think having a new coach makes a difference. That if you you have Jill Ellis still in there coming off of two World Cup uh, titles, a disappointing Olympics, I feel like it would be hard to sort of get everybody back up to that level, or at least from the outsider's perspective, it would feel a bit more like, ah, there's some sort of stagnation. The new new coach raises the... I do, especially because thus far, I don't have any reason not to. We, like, his, like, the performance in the friendlies has looked good. He seems to have, like, known what he, how he wants to utilize certain players in certain ways, but he's also been looking at younger players, calling new players in, getting different looks to kind of challenge the more veteran players, and I just think you're going to see a new coach means new motivation and i think younger players coming into challenge even if it's a smaller squad yeah. i think it will still be a very talented team and a very capable team well i'll be supporting great britain anyway um, okay another olympic uh, prediction for you mm-hmm. the u.s men will qualify for the olympics for the first time since 2008 all right i will say my prediction was the u.s men will fail to qualify for the olympics and i really hope i get this wrong so i'm Ooh. happy to be talked into your prediction okay you want to hear my reasoning sure. um i think this u23 squad yeah. 
um, is the, they either have a lot of professional minutes. Everyone on the squad either yeah. has a lot of professional minutes um, or were involved in the successful U20 World Cup run. Mm. Every player who's going to be in the squad has one or the other. That hasn't necessarily been the case in the past. And even you look at the uh, the January camp that we just talked about, how many guys from there are going to have you know little t- experiences, touches of experience mm-hmm. with the senior men's national team. I think it'll be the best prepared U23 team we've sent in a long time. Okay. I think a good example is um, our left back for the U23s is going to be either Anthony Robinson, who's playing with Wigan in the championship and has been for... He played for Bolton before that. A lot of you know professional experience in the second mm. tier of English football. If he's not released, then it's probably Sam Vines, who has plenty of, or at least a season or so of experience playing first team football with the Colorado Rapids. Like in the past, it's been some college guys and this and mm-hmm. that. Like I think, uh, the, I think it's just the most experienced, ready group of U23s we've had in a long time. I think they'll get the job done. All right. So I don't disagree with really anything that you've just said. What it comes down to for me, Daryl has gone the logical, reasoned way. I am going to go the emotional way. <laughs> Where this comes from for me... This is our show, right? I'm the head and you're the heart. A little bit. A little bit. Um, <laughs> and I would go with like an analogy. I promise it's not as sad as it's going to sound, but I remember I was running... Does it involve upstate New York? It does not. Okay. It, it involves my high school experience of freshman okay. year I was like running for class president and I remember the election was on the same day as like when we got our first report cards and I did not do well on that uh-huh. first report card and I remember having that sort of realization of like my, the person I was running against was like I got straight A's and I was like there's no way that I get bad grades and then my day turns around by being elected he won and so I feel like it's sort of that whereas like when things seem to be going in a negative direction I tend to feel like maybe that's going to continue and here it stands to reason that with like a lack of coaches at youth level, with things seemingly kind of stagnating with U.S. soccer, it feels like it would be strangely against the run of the current for us yeah. to qualify for the Olympics. And that really is the only reason. It's just, it feels That's like emotional narrative there, right? Absolutely. Because here's my counter argument mm-hmm. is all the guys that have been involved in U20s and all yep. that. They've been through a successful U20 mm-hmm. program when Tab Ramos was the coach, when everything was in place. Like those guys have escaped that just as the ship fell apart yeah. and jumped onto the U23 ship, right? All right. So yeah, th- these guys are safe. So if we don't, if we qualify for this one, how is it too much to ask? How at risk do you think we are going forward though with this? Okay, lack of- I've got another prediction oh, for you then. Mm-hmm. Um, both the men's and women's U20 teams yeah. will qualify for the U20 World Cups. But it will not be pretty. Okay. So the uh, U20 CONCACAF Championship for the women is in February. No. There's, there's no coach Good. right now. Awesome. The uh, U20 CONCACAF Championship for the men, which, by, by the way, these are both the U20 World Cup qualifiers, mm-hmm. these championships, is in June. There is no coach. Nope. Right? That is worrying because that was not the situation Yeah, but Chicago in around. June is lovely. So that'll be <laughs> fine. That won't be an so issue. They'll just find someone on the street. Yeah, yeah. Just wait till like uh, late hey, spring. Hey, you. <laughs> I still think there's enough strength um, in the squads for us to qualify for these mm-hmm. World Cups. But usually we've qualified and impressed. Yeah. Right? I'm not sure we will this time around because the, the youth coaching setup, basically they, they took out, especially on the men's side, they took out the old setup, which yeah. is run by Tab Ramos, and haven't replaced it with anything. TBD. Yet. So TBD, yeah. You replaced it with TBD. TBD. We'll send TBD to the, uh, to the championship. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to have one more sort of U.S. soccer-centric one. Okay. And I'm going to say Jesse Marsh. We've talked about this before. We've heard some rumors about this. I'm going to say Jesse Marsh will take over at Borussia Dortmund uh, in 2020. Interesting. Yes. Why Borussia Dortmund? 
Because Dortmund are uh, a successful team, but mm-hmm. I do think under Lucien Favre, they have not reached the heights that maybe they were expected to. Now, maybe that turns around. They've brought in Holland. Maybe things click. They finish near the top, if not at the top of the Bundesliga. Maybe Favre ends up stick, sticking around. But I think the way it's gone, it has not been as impressive and kind of free-flowing of an attack as fans would have liked. Again, they've had injuries. There are outlying circumstances there. But I do look at Holland coming in. That is coming straight from RB Salzburg, where yeah. Jesse Marsh was coaching and coaching successfully. But but more so the style of play that we've seen from Salzburg, of the aggressive high press, of lots of attack, lots of passing, lots of creativity. All of that feels like what Dortmund wanted to be this season and felt like what they were building towards with that roster. And so bringing in a player that Jesse Marsh has worked with and has already gotten the best out of, it feels like they can kind of bring him in and he can continue to bring about that team and that style a bit more than they have thus far. And it really is entirely dependent on what Lucien Favre and Dortmund do this season, but I could see Jesse Marsh getting that job in the summer for sure. I would love that to happen, mm-hmm. obviously, because it would be great to have, say, Jesse Marsh coach, an American coach coaching a gigantic yeah. European team, and Gio Reyna coming through the ranks um, as it happens. It does feel like the Austrian Bundesliga and a bit of Champions League experience is less experienced than most coaches True. have had before Borussia Dortmund will hire them. Mm. So we'll see. We'll find out in the summer. We shall. We shall. I've but got- like uh, Rosa, I think, ma- made the jump and has done uh, just, I think, Gladbach. Mm-hmm. I think, and he came from Salzburg. That's true, yeah. I think maybe had a little bit more than the one season. But still, yeah. I feel like there has been that sort of groundwork laid of, hey, this is a system and this is a setup that seems to work well with young coaches coming through. Maybe we kind of pull him in early, get him on board, and then see where things go. Okay, I've got a related prediction. What you got? Um, at least one Red Bull-employed American will win a Bundesliga title. <laughs> okay. So you're saying Jesse Marsh at Salzburg or Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig? I'm saying exactly that. RB okay. Salzburg are currently two points clear of LASK in the Austrian Bundesliga. And RB Leipzig are two points clear of the Rosa-coached mm-hmm. Gladbach in the German Bundesliga. Yep. So one of them has to win a title, right? I would hope. I yeah. feel like it's Salzburg. But only because I toyed around a lot with this, and I really have strayed away from making specific predictions about leagues, aside from, like, I, yeah, Liverpool win the Premier League. I feel pretty confident there. Yeah. Aside from that, like, I would say Barcelona, decent shot to win La Liga. I think it ends up maybe being Juve in Italy. I think it's going to come it's down. to Juve title race right now, Probably, right? Yeah. yeah. But the, then with Germany, I'm a little bit more up in the air because there are very compelling reasons for it to be Leipzig with everything they've done so far, with players coming back, with Nagelsmann being a very good manager. But it's Bayern, and Bayern are Bayern, and they have already sort of started to recover from how bad they were under Niko Kovac, and I just have to believe that they've got the depth and the talent to be able to put together a very consistent string of results over the second half of the season. I don't know if Leipzig will be able to do that. So that's the only reason why I don't jump at the idea of Tyler Adams being a Bundesliga champion. That's why I hedge my bets with Marsh and Adams. very wise. A Red Bull employed American will win a Bundesliga um, in 2020. I've got one more related uh, prediction maybe before we take an ad break. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, Haaland going to Borussia Dortmund. Here's my prediction. Dortmund will get more points in the Rookrunde than in the Hinrunde. Yeah. Right? I so think that's a really don't know, good The Hinrunde is the first part of the season. Dortmund got 30 points from 17 games. They're in fourth place. Signing Erling Braut Haaland is, I'm gonna, this is a big claim, but I'm, I'm really sticking with it. The most I've ever seen a team sign the exact thing that they were missing. Yeah. Yeah, right? I, yeah I totally agree. Dortmund have gone like, I want to say, Ever since they lost Obama Yang, mm-hmm. they had Mishu Batshuayi on loan a little bit. They haven't really had um, a target striker no. or anything resembling a target striker 
for a season and a half, right? They've had Paco Alcacer, who is not a target striker, and it seems to only be capable of playing like 30 minutes at a time yep. or so. Um, and then otherwise they've played like attacking midfielders like Mario Goetze or Marco Royce um, mm. as centre forward. And I think it really, a lot of games it really showed. I remember specifically the game against Bayern Munich where they just, Brian pressed and they couldn't clear because there was no one to hold the ball yeah. up, right? So in signing Erling Braut Haaland, and I've, I, I spent this morning watching um, footage of Haaland. He is six foot four. He is fast. He can hold the ball up. He can do some clever little nice layoff play. He can run in behind. He's pretty quick and he's a really clever finisher as well. Um, he's only 19, but I think he is exactly the thing that Dortmund were missing. Mm. So I think they will they might not win the title, but they'll mount a title challenge by getting more points in the second half of the season with Haaland than they did in the first half without him. Yeah, I, I would agree entirely with what you said there. And it's a player who they know they're going to have for at least two seasons. I think after the first two, there's an... Uh, there is a third in the contract, but I think that's when the relegation, or not the relegation, the Minimum release clause. Yeah. yeah, that's it's like fifty million, that's, right? That's where that comes in, and then I imagine he'll be on his way. Yeah. But I, but yes, I think you're totally right that they're bringing in a player who we would expect to start relatively soon, and that's a big reason why yeah. I think he ended up at Dortmund in the first place is because he wanted guarantees of playing time. I think he'll get that, and I think they will look better. That is really the only thing that made me slightly less confident with the Jesse Marsh prediction is just that he could come in. I think uh, Witzel has been injured on occasion he could come back in and suddenly Dortmund looked like a much more cohesive team yep. who could pick up a lot of points. But Lucien Favre has never felt like the long-term guy this at is the Borussia thing. Dortmund, mm-hmm. right? And so, I know lots of people love him, and I know lots of people think he's a yeah. very good manager. But yes, I think that's what it comes back to for me is because there were those conversations we were having, you and I were having, or we were having with Matt Herman, or I was having with uh, Manuel Veth, or Feth, excuse me, uh, that like even though they were only in third place or fourth place and only like six points off the top of the table, it still just felt like it wasn't clicking for Dortmund. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe with Holland coming in, it may well do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're very confident in Holland then, right? I think so. Um, I think okay. so. Okay. I have many more predictions. I know you have I've some got a few. more I've got a few as more. well. I-, I had the morning free. <laughs> <laughs> but first, today's show yeah. is sponsored by our friends at Roughneck Scarves. You've heard us talk about Roughneck Scarves before. Um, if you've always heard us talk about them, but you've never been to the website, Go to the website, roughneckscarves.com. You will see all kinds of Major League Soccer scarves. You will see all kinds of national team scarves, U.S. Women's National Team, U.S. Men's National Team, any scar- any national team that you want, mm-hmm. any scarf you want to support a team, roughneckscarves.com will have it for you. That's right. And if they don't have the scarf you're looking for, custom yeah, design it yourself. just create that thing, yeah. yeah. If you cannot wait for them to like one day have the Holland scarf, you can create a Dortmund Holland scarf <laughs> and then you'll be just fine. Just black and yellow, put his face in there, you're good to go. There what more do you need? Go. Uh, Make sure you, you get the dot over the A though. That's, that's a difficult one to of get. Of course. Yeah. You, I've had trouble searching his name sometimes. Yeah. Some places won't recognize his name. Yes. I'm looking at you particularly, Scout. <laughs> you got to have that, that one specific character that the, I don't know what it's called. A with like a halo over the yeah. top. I don't know what the name for that character is. And I also don't know what that means in terms of pronunciation, but I'm sure it means something that we're mispronouncing. I think, mispronouncing, yeah. I think it just means ah. Ah, Highland. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, then maybe that's what the scarf should be. It should be the actual proper spelling on one side and you flip it over and it's just like 17 A's on the other side. There we go. Perfect, uh, perfect. And if you would like to get 20% off anything you see at Rough scarves.com when you go there mm-hmm. um, you just use the discount code total soccer show or one word total soccer show enter that at checkout and you'll get 20% off whatever you buy at roughneckscarves.com 
All right. Uh, so thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Let's get back to some specific predicting. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm going to take us to the Premier League, where I'm, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to like Manchester United 5% less le- next season. Uh, that continues on with the trend of them not appointing a director of football. Okay. My ruling was that every year they don't appoint a director of football. I'm just going to like them 5% less. Fair. I think with the way things have gone, with the way things seem to be going, I think it's going to continue to be the narrative of Oligator Solskjaer making the decisions, Ed Woodward doing the business. I don't think they're going to sign a director of football. <laughs> so I end up, I will end up being uh, only 90% into Man United next year. Briefly on Man United, mm-hmm. uh, we talked on the Christmas show about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needing um, a different route because it's like pacey, can- pressing mm-hmm. and counter-attacking pacey thing yep. wasn't always working. The couple of games against Newcastle and Burnley, there were some nice mm-hmm. passing moves and some nice movement. Yep. Have Man United turned the corner a little bit in terms of... Um, Breaking down defensive teams? Uh, this was the topic of conversation on the oh. phone with about 14 different conversations oh, okay. this weekend. Uh, I my, my answer to you, honestly, is like I'm not confident saying that yet because I don't think so. I'm I personally like, starting to like Martial's link-up play. Mm-hmm. I think his movement's getting a little better and a little uh, craftier and a little less predictable. And this is where it may be like my fan bias as opposed to just my like objective neutral observer bias. Yeah. But I still think that some of the opportunities they're getting are because of defensive mistakes from their opponent that they capitalize upon. But then I think it was Steve Bruce was saying, like, once Man United get the lead, they're really difficult to play against because they're so good at counterattacking. And I think that if you give them a mistake, they're able to get the goal, then things open up a bit more. I still have questions about their ability to play through and break through. And I still have some big questions about Paul Pogba and what the future holds for him. And I think if they can't get him back playing regularly in that midfield... I have concerns about their ability to break down defenses unless they bring in some players in January. Okay, speaking of January, I have mm-hmm. a prediction. Arsenal yep. will spend big on a centre-back. <laughs> I had I had one of Man City, uh, Tottenham, or Arsenal will spend big on a centre-back, so <laughs> we can fold those in together. I'm going to say Arsenal will spend big on a centre-back in either January or the summer, but mm-hmm. in 2020 at some point. Yeah. Do so we know- looking at this past weekend's game, the yeah. second goal they conceded against Chelsea, mm-hmm. where Mustafi kind of decides to just let Tammy Abraham receive the ball mm. under no pressure and turn yeah. and run at them. You had Callum Chambers get injured. I think Mikel Arteta coming in, if he is going to be somewhat Guardiola-influenced, he's going to want like big, confident centre-backs who not only dominate aggressively defensively, they're also very confident like bringing the ball out of the back. Yep. I think you've got to spend money to get guys like that. So that's why I think Arsenal will spend money either in January or in the summer. They do have, what, William Saliba. Um, um, They bought him from St. Etienne and loaned him back, but he's only 18. I'm not sure he's necessarily the guy... I wouldn't be surprised to see them go for Dayat Upamecano, mm. the, the RB Leipzig yep. centre-back, who's very good bringing the ball out of the back. So either January or the summer. My guess is the summer because Leipzig will want him for the title race. There it is. Yeah, and I think it would be a mistake for Arsenal to bring in young centre-backs, to bring back young centre-backs from loans just because... Like, from an optic standpoint, that's what they're always accused of, is why sign a replacement for your best player when you can bring in a 17-year-old who might end up getting there someday, who you'll then end up probably selling or letting go on free. So I think it makes much more sense to sign an established center back. I think they will struggle to get somebody from Leipzig because they're in the Champions League, so maybe this summer makes sense. Do you think there's a chance that we finally get our John Brooks to Arsenal prediction from, like, two years ago? I mean, we can keep making the prediction. I don't think it's going to happen. But I think Arsenal, for all the reasons I think, honestly, injury record makes him not worth spending big money. This this is the issue. Uh, But yeah, I, I... I take your point because also in the Arsenal game, I talked about this with a little bit uh, with Ryan in our weekend review, that even the Leno goal where he comes out and completely misses it and it falls to Jorginho at the back post, 
even that, I would argue, is like David Luiz kind of standing still. Leno comes out to get that ball and then realizes, I think, because where he is in relation to Luiz, that he can't get it with his left hand, so he has to go with his non-dominant hand, and that's why it goes over. Yeah. But I feel like that speaks to a lack of sort of comfort and communication between the two center backs and the goalkeeper, that there wasn't that sort of like, I'm coming out to get this, get out of my way. And you, we, you've done this before when your goalkeeper's coming out, so you'll sort of block off the attacker yeah. without necessarily obstructing, but you sort of like shape up to not let them through. Mm-hmm. That was not the case, and I just feel like there's not that resiliency you need from the center backs at Arsenal. But I would say the same thing. We saw Mourinho make a double change at halftime and change up his formation and openly criticize his defenders, so I yep. wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham go for somebody. And then we had... Fernandinho and Otamendi this weekend not looking as strong as they could have. I think there's plenty of evidence yeah. that Fernandinho is a magnificent yep. number six for Manchester City and a like a good centre back, but not a not a title winning centre back. And I feel, but I also feel like there's a chance that he's a better centre back than Otamendi at this point. <laughs> like Otamendi got done up pretty easily against Wolves, especially. So I would say centre backs who have had a strong start to the season should be very pleased with their standing heading yeah, into January. They should start looking at English real estate. They should. They should indeed. <laughs> uh, one one centre back who has already looked at. English real estate is Virgil van Dijk I think Virgil van Dijk wins the Ballon d'Or the only outlier to that would be unless Argentina wins the Copa America (laughs) that would be my one outlier if Argentina wins the Copa America I think you have to give it to Lionel Messi because I expect Barcelona to win the title in La Liga so if he wins La Liga again and is the kind of dominant force in that happening and then is also a pivotal figure for Argentina I don't see how he doesn't win the Ballon d'Or so van Van Dijk has obviously Liverpool's probably title winning Mm -hmm. season in the first half of the season I assume, unless something weird changes, like Klopp leaves or whatever, yeah. Liverpool will be very good and Van Dijk will be very good mm-hmm. for the start of the 2020-2021 season. Yep. Van Dijk also has Euro 2020. That's the big one. Bang in the middle. Yep. Right? So he could put on a magnificent performance in mm-hmm. Euro 2020 that could rival any Leo Messi Copa America performance. What if Argentina win with Messi, but like Van Dijk captains the Dutch to the Euros and then they both continue to have strong forms for their, for their teams? I don't know. I feel like it still ends up being Messi just because uh, of Copa America I mean, and he should, finally won national team silverware. They should make Messi versus Van Dijk be like a one-on-one game at the Ballon d'Or Awards and the winner takes the trophy. I think my money's on Messi, but it, it's closer than I would have thought. Uh-huh. It's closer than I would have thought. It is. Um, but yes, I think Virgil van Dijk, at the very least, will finish top two in the Ballon d'Or voting. There we go. Okay, I've got Argentina will win Copa America 2020. Mm-hmm. And here's my logic. This isn't just a blind guess. Um, Argentina are half-hosting. Copa America <laughs> yes. 2020. It's an Argentina, half hosting, is that Colombia half hosting mm. situation. The final is actually in Colombia. It's in Barranquilla. Uh, I read but, a lot today about why that is the case that they're co-hosting. Oh, why is it then? Uh, the Tim Vickery article uh, seemed to imply that basically they want to show because I think that their bid for the 2030 World Cup is going to be Argentina I and Uruguay. I may get the countries wrong. It's a four-way bid. I think it's Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, and Paraguay. I okay. think are the four, and so I think they want to show that they can host it in two different countries that are sort of far apart, like like at different points. Yeah. yeah. And show that it can still work very well. And then there's the historical argument, right? It wasn't the first World Cup in Uruguay, yeah. so mm-hmm. 1930, 2013. That makes sense. We do yes. it again. So I think okay. for all those reasons, that's why they kind of wanted to get Argentina in. Yeah. I think because initially it was probably just going to be Colombia hosting, and then they're like, well, maybe just split it in two groups all of right. six, and we'll see it that so way. That's why the finals in Colombia, but Argentina will get to play a lot yep. of games in Argentina. They have a coach now that the squad seems mm-hmm. happy with. So if you're not familiar, uh, Lionel Scaloni was an assistant of uh, Jorge Sampaoli ever since the Sevilla days. Was his assistant, followed him to the Argentina national team. After Sampaoli was fired after 2018, um, Scaloni was one of the caretaker managers, interim caretaker managers, was eventually given the job on an interim basis, I think through the 2019 Copa America, where they finished third. And then with some positive, uh, positive feedback from players, including Lionel Messi, 
the Argentinian Federation gave him the job through the end of 2022 World Cup qualifying. Mm-hmm. So you essentially have a coach who is not that experienced. I think he's only 41, and this is his first ever head coaching job. But he has the support of the players, including Leo Messi, plus mostly hosting the tournament. Yep. I think this is maybe Leo Messi's last chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think that it, could all, it could all work out, Copa America 2020. So I asked our friend uh, Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic about yeah. who he sort of saw as the favorites. It's the ones you would expect. Uh, his reasoning would be Brazil because they're stacked, uh, Colombia because they're co-hosts, Uruguay because they're stacked as well, and Argentina because co-hosts plus Messi plus playing well, which I think has a lot to do with Scaloni as the manager. So yes, I think it, it is somewhat more open Like in terms of I think there you could make an argument for those four teams, and I would believe any one of those arguments. Yeah. But I, I take your point that for all the reasons you've outlaid, plus just Lionel Messi, mm-hmm. it does feel like Argentina are in with a very, very strong shot. And he just finally, just finally to see Messi lift an international trophy that's not the Olympics. It would be nice. Yeah. It would be nice. Um, It would be nice. All right. You got any more for me? Yeah. I've got a few. Um, Jurgen Klopp, you mentioned him earlier, potentially, like if he were to leave Liverpool. Yeah. Not that big of a prediction. He's not going anywhere. Uh, I think he's going to be linked with an absurd <laughs> not number even of for away games. No, he's staying home. That's it. He'll send an assistant. Scott. No, um, I think he'll be linked with an absurd number of jobs, and I think some of them will. Like he'll be linked with like the China national team job, and he'll be linked with some very strange ones, and then some very obvious ones like maybe Madrid, maybe Bayern Munich, things like that. I don't but think I- there's a realistic link until Yogi Love is fired or steps down. You think? Yeah. With with the German national team. Yes. Yeah. I, that's probably that's probably safe. And I even then, like maybe that would appeal to him. But I feel like that's a job he could do twenty years from now or ten years from now. Yeah. I think with everything he has built at Liverpool, with how strong they are, like maybe the only teams that are slightly bigger draws at this point would be Barcelona, Real Madrid, and for a player. You mean? And, well, no, just for a manager. Like oh, I feel I like like Liverpool. Who Liverpool are historically, the fact that he now seems to be in a position where, like, this could very well be the start of them winning titles, like, every now and then. Oh, it could be, this could be like a Ferguson era. Yeah. yeah. A little, or, may, or like, you have con- constantly reminded me that that may not be a thing anymore. It may be very difficult to have a manager around for 25, 26 years. Yeah. But. Yeah, but if I was going to put my money on someone, it's it would Klopp, probably right? be Klopp. Yeah. Right, because he's beloved there. He seems to love being there. Mm-hmm. Seems like the players love him. We have seen historically maybe like if you push your players too much, as happened with Dortmund, he ends up walking away. But aside from a massive downturn in form and everybody yeah. mutinying, I feel like he's there for a long time. And the difference is at Liverpool, he can bring in the very, very best players mm-hmm. uh, to refresh his squad yes. as opposed to bringing in sort of up-and-coming players at Dortmund to try and refresh the squad. Mm-hmm. And you don't lose like uh, Lewandowski to Bayern like you do yeah. at Dortmund. You know what I'm saying? That. Yeah. It's a little different at Liverpool. It's a, it's a slightly higher in the pecking order transfer-wise club, right? Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot though with I'm going to ask you for a specific prediction. Okay. Start of next season, who is managing Manchester City? Pep Guardiola. You think it's still Pep Guardiola? Yeah, I think okay. especially be, if he doesn't win the, like anything this year, yeah. he'll be sort of, all right, let's go again. Let's mm-hmm. get this done. I'm not leaving on a damn note. And I feel like, do you agree with me that he'll, they're certainly going to prioritize Champions League at this point, but I feel like that's the thing that he really wants to win. Like he's done the back-to-back with Man City, but he yeah. hasn't won the Champions League since Barcelona. I do sort of buy into that idea. I think if you were to ask Guardiola, he'll say, I want to win everything, and yeah. he'll mean it. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's Guardiola. There he's intense. Go. He's intense. <laughs> there will be no smile. Okay, I've got another one for you. Mm-hmm. I think this one's interesting. The Japanese men's team... Do you think some of yours haven't been interesting? The Japanese <laughs> men's team will medal mm-hmm. at the 2020 Olympics. I mean, everybody has that prediction for this year, Daryl. Do they really? No. Oh. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but go ahead. Explain why. Explain why. Because I think it's a solid, a solid argument. Here's my logic. So there's a basic I think this of... is one of the only ones you told me ahead of time. Okay. And as you made that argument, I was like, oh yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> it's one of those that... 
it, it, it like I went from like not thinking about it to being like, yeah, they're definitely going to win at least bronze. Like that's for sure <laughs> going to happen. So they're hosting. Yeah, the men's Olympics. Sorry, the Olympics mm-hmm. and the men's football tournament is Tokyo twenty twenty. They are hosting the men's Olympics. So that's ja- true. <laughs> the Japanese team is the host nation. They have a lot of young talent, and they sent basically an Olympic squad to the twenty nineteen mm-hmm. Copa America last year. Yep. They finished third in their group, didn't do great. They lost 4-0 to Chile, but then they tied Uruguay and Ecuador. Mm -hmm. So not a horrible performance, but 19 of the 23 that went to the Copa America are Olympics eligible. So Mm. it's definitely a let's give all these guys tournament experience ahead of the Olympics next year. Not included in that Copa America squad, Ritsu Doan, Mm -hmm. who's at PSV, and Takafusa Kubo. Yep. At Real Madrid. So you got those two who are under 23 to add. And that's before you even factor in the three overage players. Um, when you host the uh, Olympics, you tend to take the tournament a lot more seriously. This right? is very true. So yeah, Japan will medal at the 2020 Olympics. But really important medal question, with an a. will they be disciplined and well-drilled? <laughs> Warren Barton says they'll be small and technical. <laughs> Oh, Which I believe is literally how racism. we refer to Japan at the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, Senegal v. Japan was uh, power and pace versus discipline and like technical precision mm-hmm. or something like that. Oh, coded language. It's the best. Yep. Um, I am going to go to the Euros. Okay. And I'm going to say that Russia will make I'll, the, I'll join you there shortly. Russia will make the Euros fun because, one, I do think that they will make it farther than I initially thought. They did well in qualifying. They finished second, but they were uh, out in front of everybody else uh-huh. by far. But I also think, two, they are the villain that everyone will be happy to root against. <laughs> and so I think it will be – rarely do you get a team that kind of everybody except for like that country's people are sort of actively rooting against. Because of the drug cheating? And it, because of the drug cheating, because of the current political system, because Putin. There are many reasons yeah. why. Uh, and and I think all of those will combine. Is Russia like banned uh, oh, right yeah. now? Banned from competing? Just, yeah, the Euros the are an flag. important tournament. Otherwise, they'd be banned from this one too. Yeah, that's slightly paraphrasing the way it works, but yeah, essentially. Uh, and so, yes, I think for that reason as well, they're going to be an unpopular team. But I also think they will be sort of what we saw at the 2018 World Cup. They'll be hardworking. They'll be running a lot. Maybe running slightly less than they did because maybe they won't have the assistance that they did playing at home <laughs> is how I'm going to say that so we don't get sued by Russia. So who uh, are they playing? I know they're playing Belgium. They're in a squad with Belgium. I think Belgium, Denmark, and Finland. I'm okay. guessing that off the top of my head, but that's what I remember vaguely being the case. Okay. Um, but I just think that they will end up making it out because, as we've talked about previously, with the way this tournament is structured – that pretty much every uh, third place team goes through. It's what six of the eight or four of the six or something four like of that. The six. Thank you. So I think Russia will at the very least make it to the knockout rounds. Maybe they win one of those games, but I think it will be a team that people are sort of hoping don't go too far and will be sort of rooting against, especially if other more darling teams <laughs> make it out and play against Russia. So you were right. Denmark, Finland, Belgium, Russia is Group B at Euro 2020. There we are. Um, I've got a prediction for you. Have at it. England will win Euro 2020 Group D. Okay. So England are in the group with Croatia, Czech Republic, and then there's still the playoffs to go. Either Scotland, Israel, Norway, or Serbia. But England, all their games are at Wembley. Mm -hmm. And then the semifinals and the final are at Wembley. So Euro 2020 is weird. It is spread throughout Europe but certain teams have a big advantage and England is one of those teams they're Mm -hmm. sort of hosting their own games and then hosting the semi-finals and the final I think they'll do well so England will win Euro 2020 Group D because of the Wembley advantage and you know Mm because they're a really good team right now and Raheem Sterling will not only score his first ever tournament goal for England didn't score 2014 2016 2018 Hmm. Um, he will also be 
England's top scorer at Euro 2020, and maybe the, I'm going to go tournament top scorer. So I was thinking about Euro that for Harry Kane again. So why have you gone Raheem Sterling over Harry Kane? Because finally, England are playing a system that plays to Raheem Sterling's strengths. Mm. If you remember at the World Cup in 2018, they played the sort of 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, and he played as like a, a second striker mm-hmm. behind Harry Kane, right? Where his, his, be- his best position is in a front three as one of the wide attackers who can come in field like he does for Manchester City. That's how he's playing for England now. England have switched to a 4-3-3 with Harry Kane central and then either like Sterling and Rashford out wide or Sancho and Sterling out wide. I think it really suits him and he's absolutely lit it up for England ever since they've switched to that system. I think he'll score a load of goals at Euro 2020 like that. And and I like, the the, again, the specificity of your prediction of they will win their group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not saying they're going to win the whole thing. But I like that because... On the surface, people might think with the teams that you've listed, like, yeah, of course they're going to win. That's not that bold of a prediction until you remember that, number one, it's Croatia who knocked them out of the World Cup last time around. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's Czech Republic, who I believe were England's only loss in qualifying. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. I think on the road. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have priors of losing to both of those teams. So it is a slightly trickier group than yep. you might maybe think on paper. But I'm, I'm, I'm with you that I think they will still be able to find their way out, probably top of the table. At Wembley. At Wembley. Wembley. The other thing is, if Scotland can qualify, their games Mm -hmm. will be at Hampden Park. So Scotland will get to host Euro 2020 games if they make it. Big old if. They've got Israel first, Mm -hmm. and then if they beat Israel, they play either Norway or Serbia. This is this uh, like... Nations League uh, playoff thing to get into Euro 2020. Turns out we did some we did some looking up. Serbia still pretty good. Yeah, only still one of them still pretty deep. Only one of them has Luka Jovic, and it's not Scotland. Yeah, Luka <laughs> Savic in there. Yeah, there's some decent players. Uh, there's some decent players. Kostic. But speaking of decent players, uh, my final prediction is that the 2020 MLS All Star Game is going to be the most over the top All Star event we've seen in quite some time, if not ever. I had a prediction about this. as What well. you got? Uh, I've got the MLS All Stars will win the inaugural um, All Star Game against the Liga MX All-Stars. Okay. Why do you think they'll win? Uh, it's a big claim, right? But even though Liga MX sort of entire league definitely has more talent, mm-hmm. I think top-end talent, which is what the All-Stars are pulled from, it's comparable, yep. right? But then factor in, if you're an MLS player, you've got experience of All-Star games. You've mm-hmm. done this before. This whole thing is not weird. The Liga MX players are going to be like, what is yeah. this circus? Yes. <laughs> so just the MLS All-Star's relative comfort with the All-Star format means they'll win the inaugural game. It's going to be a really interesting game. I'm so looking forward to it. Because we normally have the the strong European team in preseason mm-hmm. where they're not really that up for it and they're but sort Grand of like... But Grand still overmatched. Yeah. But you don't... But like you can get away with playing... Like, uh, Alfonso Davies, I think, was like a left center back in Atlanta when we saw him come on. Like, you can get away with some experimental formations yeah. against a team that are also themselves going to be experimental, but then maybe also will play, like, four, four across the back, all of whom are all-star defenders. Yeah. It could be a very interesting game in all the different senses. But to my point about, like, just how massively ridiculous it's going to be, it's LAFC who are going to want to, like, Hershey. show up. Yeah, they're going to want to show up the LA Galaxy. It's already in LA, so you're going to have everybody in the world wanting to cover it and, and attend that game. I just picture so much spectacle and so many absurd things uh, during the week and the lead up to it. Like Orlando, we had like the regatta yacht pavilion <laughs> thing. Yeah. I feel like LA is going to do a little bit more. Speaking of LAFC hosting there, mm-hmm. I've got a very specific prediction. Uh-oh. Carlos Vela will score the winner for the MLS All-Stars <laughs> in the MLS versus Liga MX All-Stars game. Interesting. His home stadium yep. against the Mexican League. 
I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I would have no qualms with that. All right. All right. That's it for me. I'm going to assume you've got some more. I've got a couple more. Um, Dwayne Holmes and Wayne Rooney will combine for a goal in 2020. That would be cool. So Wayne Rooney is with Derby County right now. He's a player coach. He can't sign as a player until January 1st, but apparently he's been on the bench, Mm -hmm. like assistant coaching uh, with Philip Koku. Um, He's going to get on the field. I don't know where he's going to play. Maybe he'll play deep midfield. Maybe he'll play number 10. Maybe he'll play center forward. But I don't think Dwayne Holmes is going to get dropped by Derby County because he's one of their better performers. There's going to be a Dwayne Holmes to Wayne Rooney or vice versa goal. Okay. And I'm going to call it out when it happens and we're going to talk about it on the show. I look forward to that. I've got another kind of on-the-spot question for you. Yeah. In the second half of this season... Who do you think has the roughest campaign? Uh, will it be Wayne Rooney at Derby, Zlatan Ibrahimovic at Milan, or Cristiano Ronaldo at Juve? Because I saw Michael Cox talking about like like they're still doing it in their peak form. Can Wayne Rooney still like prove that he's a capable player? And I found myself thinking like Ronaldo has kind of started to like get like not intermittent minutes, but he's not as key of a figure as maybe like he would have been a couple years ago. And then Zlatan is Zlatan. I don't know who will have the more frustrating, disappointing second half of the season. It's not Ronaldo. Because Ronaldo hasn't spent any time. Yeah, I was a, trying to make an argument for why it would be. It's not going to be Ronaldo. League. He can, he can hover through the air and score header goals. He'll be fine. I think it's going to be Zlatan. Yeah. Because Zlatan, uh, same as Rooney, has spent, mm-hmm. what, a year and a half in Major League Soccer. Yep. But he's also older. Yep. He's got some really serious knee injuries yep. uh, behind him. And then he's going to not a great team, right? Milan are not exactly flying. I think going from uh, playing against MLS defenders to playing against Serie A defenders is going to be a big step up yep. for Zlatan. Not that he's going to be terrible, but I think the thing that he was able to do for the Galaxy, where yeah. sometimes he'd just stand there and yell at everybody else and wait for chances to come his way, you can't really do in Serie A. No, and there's also the argument that like, for some, like when he's playing against some opponents, he's playing against... Like on, on occasion, like a 19 year old who was with the USL team that got caught up because it's like late season MLS and everybody's injured. Yeah. That, that can be a little bit like overwhelming if you're that player. Whereas in Serie A, he's going to be going up against a certainly a like tougher task, tougher opposition more consistently. Yeah. I don't know if he's able to do quite the kind of floating around, I am Zlatan, I do what I want role that he was able to do with LA. Speaking of the USL, mm-hmm. I've got a very specific prediction for 2020. USL will not implement their concussion substitute rule. Do you remember this story yep. from May? Mm-hmm. Uh, that USL had put in an application to IFAB to trial a rule where if a player has a concussion, you could bring on a temporary substitute while the possibly concussed player is evaluated. Right. At the time, there was some discussion of like, how long should that substitute be? Should it be 10 minutes? Should it be 15 minutes? And they weren't sure. We are now, what, three or so months from the start, three or four months from the start of the USL season. There's been no update on that story. I don't think that this rule is going to be tried out in 2020. That makes sense. We would have heard by now, right? I mean, you could still have that sort of like, hey, we're just going to throw it in last second. That is very US soccer. So Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, we're going to try this thing. Why not? We'll see what happens. But yes, I think... And especially with USL sort of trying, like, I've continuing. Also, I've also asked around a little bit, uh-huh. and no one, no one says that they yeah. know it's happening. All right. There was the recent USL meeting mm-hmm. in, I want to say Orlando. It wasn't a big story coming out of there. So I just, I think this was a great idea that was floated that has hit some wall somewhere and isn't going to happen, unfortunately. It's disappointing because yeah. uh, we still need to do some things with concussions because mm-hmm. there are players getting head injuries and continuing yep. to play. And I would have been proud for the USL to be the league where yep. this was introduced, but. I don't know. Unless something changes quickly, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Or happen well, certainly. (laughs) Speaking of rule changes, the Premier League will change the guidelines on using VAR for offside decisions in 2020. Has it been controversial? 
It certainly has. It has. We're not going to get into it. I will say that the Wolves USA Facebook group had to uh, – the administrator had to say, please, no more posts about VAR. Mm. I'm going to have to start deleting them because we are overwhelmed. All the conversation in England seems to be about this. I'm sure you and Ryan talked about mm-hmm. it on the uh, the weekend review. Personally, I would rather talk about other things because there's lots of other Premier League yeah. things to talk about. But here's the big story, in my opinion. Um, Lucas Brud, the general secretary of IFAB, you know, the body that approves rule changes to soccer, told the Press Association today... Clear and obvious still remains it's an important principle. There should not be a lot of time spent to find something marginal. This is part of a story where he's essentially saying that the Premier League is using VAR incorrectly when they do those minute offside decisions. He says, if something is not clear on the first sight, then it's not obvious and it shouldn't be considered. Looking at one camera angle is one thing, but looking at 15, (laughs) trying to find something that was potentially not even there, this was not the idea of the VAR principle. It should be clear and obvious. So I think what's going to happen is... Either there's going to be an emergency meeting mm. and start in January 2020, the Premier League will say, OK, we'll just we'll take a look at marginal offside calls, but we won't go. We don't we won't use the dotted lines and make the big toe was offside, armpit mm. was offside decisions. Or they'll wait, till, they'll wait till the summer and then say, OK, for 2020, 2021, we will not make these marginal decisions. I think there's going to be a solution to this. I agree. And it's going to be the solution that Lucas Brood suggests. OK, I would like that. And, but I think also like your point about like the concussion protocol like i wish they were going to try to implement that but i think what's happened with var in england is a good example of why you don't just kind of try something new without a lot of practice and without a lot of preparation because yeah. honestly why league like usl gets it first yeah. yeah it does feel like var though in in the premier league specifically has been sort of a like i don't know just like review stuff if you want to <laughs> like almost that like <laughs> like there doesn't seem to have been a like codified set of operations that maybe like over the course of the season has been refined and figured out a bit more but we haven't had the uniformity of the referees going to check the screen the way we've talked we've talked about that many many times that it just doesn't feel like that was a thing that was passed down but then at certain times referees have but then they haven't there have been rules about encroachment that have sometimes been enforced but other times they haven't been looked at. I, I just am not getting into complaining about it no. I'm just predicting that they will change the guidelines for how they use it for offside in 2020 I'm not necessarily trying to complain more about it I'm just trying to say that I feel like it feels to me a bit like like the Premier League were just sort of like yeah we're gonna have VAR and we're just gonna do it and I think now you're starting to see the ramifications of that so I absolutely agree with you that I think because of that there is gonna be a more like okay we're doing it this way now it needs to be done like this this is how it is we're gonna change the way it was done in the past yeah. and I think you're absolutely right that it makes think, more sense to refine than to scrap entirely yeah it's kind of fair there's a bit of trial and error I think I think it's okay that they try to do a thing where they're like okay we're gonna have very specific very accurate offside decisions and they found that. One, that's kind of impossible because of like when when was the ball actually played? What is the frame rate? Do we know that we got this frame mm-hmm. correct? And then there's like a weird spirit of the game type thing that everyone's upset about. So I think they're finding out all these things as they've tried it. And it's only fair that they get to fix it. Uh, I agree for the most part. It's only I, correct that they fix it. Fair, there we yes. Yeah? But I think there have been many times, I don't necessarily disagree with your point, I'm more so again frustrated with the Premier League, that there have been many times I've come in here with an idea for the show, and you've been like, well, what about this? They're like, oh yeah, that doesn't really work. Never mind. <laughs> and it just doesn't feel like that secondary question was asked, of like, we're going to be really specific with the offside. But isn't that going to be really frustrating if somebody was offside in like the lead-up to the lead-up to the lead-up to the goal? Yeah. Like, that question didn't but get I, asked, and they're just like, ah, it'll be fine. But I can get how the conversation would have been, been like, more accuracy is better. Yeah. You know I mean, like, you could have with that principle and and then not found out until it's too late that oh that's not what people wanted at all i feel like somebody with a monocle made that decision <laughs> more accuracy is better i mean only people with monocles get to make decisions in england i that is now the official law right yeah <laughs> with the last election that's, that's why i have i have one just in case <laughs> just in case oh it's funny and sad at the same time speaking of people with mm-hmm. double barrel names yeah 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin will get an England cap in 2020. That would be good. He has been brilliant for Everton. He seems to be Ancelotti's first choice at centre-forward. England only have so many strikers, mm-hmm. right? It's like Harry Kane, Tammy Abraham, Callum Wilson. At some point, it's got to be Dominic Calvert-Lewin. We've talked about this before. Why is, did Damien Vardy retire, or has he just been sort of like told, hey, I you think, might as well retire? I think it was like okay. a, a mutual decision with Gareth Southgate suggesting that you could take some weeks off. I anticipated yeah. getting a, a tweet of like, how are you not going to mention Jamie Vardy? Yeah, just yeah. wanted to clarify that yeah, he yeah. is not so much involved in the conversation. He is I not. think that's a solid shot by you. Uh-huh. Do you think your man Connor Cody is ever going to get a look? So the, Southgate was specifically asked about this, and he said he's never seen Connor Cody play in a back four, hmm. only ever in a back three, which is what he does for Wolves. And it's true, right? You've never seen Connor Cody as part of like a two centre-back pairing. He's always been like a weird midfield sweepery, long diagonal ball playing centre-back in the middle of a back three. And I think it's fair to not select him on that basis. Again, I agree with you, but it's also a good reminder of how important it is if you're a national team manager to have momentum behind you. Because Gary Southgate saying that seems completely logical and understandable. If Greg Berhalter used that as a justification to not call in a very good player, I would probably lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a strange world. It's a strange conundrum. <laughs> Can we bring this full circle? Yeah. And one thing we didn't mention at the top talking about the January camp is – this is a roster worth being excited about. If, you, if you're into the idea of young, exciting players playing for the men's national team, mm-hmm. the fact that Ulysses Yanez yep. and Brendan Aronson and Paxton Pomacal are on the senior men's national team in January yep. is worth being pumped about. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. You're not I quite getting there? It, it's, it's just that we have been pumped about the young players coming through since 2017, basically. Yeah. Like, it's, it's at least 2018. Like, it's, it's a thing that, yes, I am excited about, and it's great to see Julianez and Ferreira included in there. Um, but simultaneously, I would very, be very happy to see veteran players who are consistently scoring for both club and country also being included in there. And it speaks volumes that when we went through the MLS players, it was sort of like, well, we're missing those three and that's pretty much it. This is not that experimental of a team. Slightly disconcerting. I've got my final prediction for you. Let's have it. It's U.S. men's national team related. I figured it would be. We're going to win the World Cup. Whoever hosts the CONCACAF Nations League final championship will win it. Okay. We don't know yet who's hosting it. I think either the U.S. will host it or Mexico will host it. Whichever one of them is chosen as host will win the championship in June. You're going to feel very foolish when this tournament is hosted in Qatar, like all tournaments now have to be. <laughs> so it's uh, US versus Honduras, mm-hmm. Mexico versus Costa Rica. Those are the semifinals. This all happens in June. The winners obviously play each other in the CONCACAF Nations League final. It's going to all be hosted in one country. That's what happened with the UEFA one, right? It was all in Switzerland in the end, um, or maybe Portugal. It was one of those. Um, so yeah, whoever hosts it, if US hosts it, I think we'll win it. If Mexico hosts it, I think they'll win it. All right. I that. Definitely checks out on the Mexico side, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens with the rest of it, yeah. But I am – it's not a prediction. It's just a hope. I really am ready for the U.S. to look like a consistently good team, yep. put together some performances, mm-hmm. start World Cup qualifying well, and have us all sort of feeling better by the end of 2020 than we yep. do right now at the end of 2019. It's worth noting for people um, – so what, we have the January friendlies or January-February friendlies. Mm-hmm. Then we have March. We have Friendlies away in Europe, which would be kind of interesting. I think we're playing the Dutch, I believe, in there. Yes, yes, we are. Then June, we have the CONCACAF Nations League Championship final, which will be at least interesting and exciting. Then September, World Cup qualifying starts. Mm. Straight to the hex in September, October, November. It's a big year for the U.S. men's national team. And it's everybody home and away, right? Just 10 games, that's World Cup qualifying, basically? World Cup qualifying, here we go. But there's not any of the weird early rounds where we play St. Kitts and Nevis. There's like straight to the hex, starting in September. Top three go, and then we got the playoff still? Yep, that's the way it works. Let's avoid that playoff. But let's also avoid (laughs) not being in the top three. We avoided the playoff last time. Not the way we were hoping for. 
<laughs> Anything else to add, Taylor, with your 2020 predictions? No, I'm just sad now. All right. So go home, stay I'm fit. not. Score your 20 goals in 2020. I shall do my best. Yeah. Oh, I've got a prediction. Uh, Daryl Grove will play competitive football again um, in 2020. I would very much like for that to be the case. Amateur competitive football. A, a key distinction there. <laughs> just going to throw you to the wolves. Literally, you're starting for Wolves in the Europa League qualifier this summer. Hey, if Connor Cody's busy, then yeah. If he's got the England call-up and Wolves have a game, maybe I'll, I'll be straight in there. I don't know. Maybe you should go to England first. I mean, I've seen you play in a back four, is all I'm saying. <laughs> you should be playing a back three. Yeah, but Both successfully mo- and unsuccessfully. Don't tell Southgate, say you're playing a back four. You'll get in there. Oh, bonus prediction. Hmm. Owen Otasuri will make his Wolves debut in 2020. That's what we've all been waiting um, for. He's a U.S. Um, mm-hmm. US under-18. Yep. Could be a U.S. under-20 uh, defender slash midfielder. He's been on the Wolves bench multiple times, but hasn't quite made it onto the field yet. And when he makes the U.S. national in the team in next January, am I going to be excited about him again too? Yes. Okay. I think you are. I think you are. All right, Taylor Rockwell, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, Come on, Jesse Marsh at Dortmund. Listeners, thank you for listening. Have a happy new year, and we'll talk to you again in 2020.